0: Real Nerds is a proud partner of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. Do you remember where you were when we elected a Sasquatch president? How about when you learned Ben Franklin was a robot? Or first heard Stalin's mixtape? I'm Zach Powers. I'm Brian Flynn, and we host The Revisionists. Each episode, one person explains real history, and another tells an alternate version. And the winner becomes The truth. We let comics from Denver and around the country run wild through history. It's an in-depth look at history, but with more Babadooks. Check out The Revisionists, available every other Saturday. Wherever you get podcasts and at revisionistpodcast.com. Oh, hi, podcast listeners. There's many ways you can listen to The Real Nerds Podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can also subscribe on Stitcher Radio. You want to send us a Twitter message? You can do that. It's so easy. At Real Nerds. Like us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. You can visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com, where there'll be a lot of articles for you to not only read, but to listen to our previous shows. You can also call us, 720-6Nerds5. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show.
1: This is TJ Carter from The Average Joe Geek Show. And you're listening to The Real Nerds Podcast.
2: Welcome to Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast of Denver Pop Culture Con 2019 and beyond. This is your host for this evening, Brad, and with me is... Zach. This week we saw Creed 2, the sequel to Creed. Find out what we thought of it at the end of the show, and before that, uh happy Thanksgiving.
1: Yeah, Thanksgiving, um, happy Black Friday, happy Super Sale Saturday and Sunday, and soon Cyber Monday.
2: Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't have um Ryan and James. I forgot their names already cuz they're constantly <laughs> they're slowly fading away from the show. Mm. Um
1: yeah. We'll have to go on a rescue mission to save them. Uh do they need saving though?
2: No, they're they they've always been better without us. Oh,
1: okay. So, so we're on our own now.
2: We're we're, we're flying solo.
1: On a, des- on a desert island, man.
2: We're alone on this w- movie what's our desert island movie
1: desert island movie i don't know about yours um mine probably be casablanca just because it's super rewatchable
2: and where are you hiding it
1: not up my ass i know that'd be the funny response i Um, I just need to
2: figure it out so i can throw it in the ocean and then we only watch oh well then i'm not gonna
1: fucking well then i'm not gonna fucking tell you (laughs) (laughs) i'll find it I would um, I would bring Jackie Brown, but it, but but that's kind of like a more like I like to be comfortable while watching it. Whereas Casablanca would give me hope that we'd find a way off the island.
2: Um, yeah, I think it'd be really hot all the time. Mm-hmm. So if if Casablanca's a movie, you feel like you can sweat in, um, or like deal with a sunburn. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'll bring Castaway. Just a little meta That'd
1: get a little too meta. Yeah, well, you said meta, yeah, but. It would, I don't know. At least like, give us
2: hope that after four years, you know, we could
1: My fear. collect enough garbage <laughs> to get out of there. <laughs> my fear, though, is that at some point while watching Castaway for the 20th time, you'll turn to me, conk me on the head, take my head off, hollow it out, and then make it look like a volleyball and call me Wilson from there on out.
2: No, I'll be doing that because uh, within three days I will have murdered and then eaten your corpse for food.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah. Oh. I'm um, not I'm not quite as fat anymore, so maybe this is the best time to do it. Yeah. So
2: Um Yeah, so what do we do on the show, Zach?
1: Uh we also talk about uh what we've been watching, uh movie news, Blu-ray releases, um we go around town with you and then but every week now for the past uh, couple episodes we've been getting uh segments from Corinne called catching up with the classics with Corinne.
2: Oh, there's no intro for her. It's just we, we just start playing the clip. So <laughs> here's, here's Corinne's latest watch. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry.
3: <laughs> hey, nerds. Corinne here for part seven of Catching the Classics. Just wanted to wish you all a very belated Thanksgiving. I hope you had a good time on the holidays with your loved ones. Yeah, I am out driving around in Kansas right now. I went home for the holidays myself, and I'll be here all next week spending vacation time with my family but I did wanna check in with you guys for catching the classics. I didn't watch a movie this week. Instead, I watched the second most popular mini-series of all time. Drum roll, please, da-da-da-da-da, The Thorn Birds. So I know James has mentioned The Thorn Birds on the show before when I was on one time, but I'm not entirely sure how many of you other nerds have seen it before. So I don't want to Spoil too much of it for you In case you ever do Feel so inclined to watch it And it's a I didn't really know a lot Going into it um, I did see a clip of it On the internet one time And it did spoil some of the things For me But not everything And there was a lot I i mean this thing is so long It's a four part miniseries I want to say it's like six or seven hours but the nice thing is that with it being a series, you don't have to sit down and watch it all in one sitting which if you watch something like the green mile or scarface or the lord of the rings like you're those are movies you're supposed to sit down and watch them all in one sitting and with the miniseries it's like you can watch one episode you can come back later you can watch the episodes once a day or once every week or something and so it's really nice to have that freedom and not have to sit down and watch the Green Mile over three hours. So, yeah, so if you've never seen The Thornbirds, a quick idea of what it's about. So it's set in Australia in the 1920s, 30s, um, at the start of the miniseries. It spans, like, 40 or 50 years, I think. And <clears throat> this family, um, this rich, rich lady befriends her priest... And her brother's family comes to live with her on her very large sheep ranch. And she, when she dies, she's going to give it to them, presumably. But then there's this whole drama llama for your mama that goes down. And, uh, yeah, I don't want to say too much more than that. There is a love story involving the priest. And it's really weird to talk about that, but it happens. And I mean, that's not the part of it that bothers me so much because there's plenty of things and, you know, in real life and in fiction where priests are breaking their vows of celibacy or what have you and having illicit affairs. That's not the part of it that bugs me. The part of it that bugs me is that he falls in love with a girl that he basically helped raise. Like it's so weird and creepy, ugh, so the thing that really gets this, um, is the performances, like, this miniseries has some wonderful performances in it, the guy who plays Father Ralph, I don't remember his name, I think it's Richard, Richard something, Richard, it's not Richard Attenborough, um, but some, some guy, but he's really, really good, and very, very handsome, Like, I can see why this is the second most popular miniseries of all time. Um, And the gal who plays Maggie, she also does a tremendous job. She has to carry a lot of, like, really weird and heavy scenes. And she does a pretty good job of it, too. I think the the lady who gets it for me is the one who plays Mary Carson, the rich old lady. She doesn't have too many scenes because spoiler she kind of dies pretty early on in the mini series but um, she has to say a lot of weird things and do a lot of weird stuff cuz she's just she's a wackadoodle old lady but man she is like menacing in some of her scenes and she has this like really weird vibe in her performance and so she just does a great job which i mean she's supposed to come off as like really weird and kooky and so yeah great cast it does feel a little long in some places but i mean it keeps it moving pretty quick in others um so yeah i would recommend it to people if you've never seen the thorn birds check it out the thorn birds four out of five stars so since i'm on vacation this week i'm not entirely sure if i'll get a chance to watch a movie if i do i'll let you guys know But if not, I will watch one when I get back to Denver. So I hope you guys have fun watching um, whatever movie you went to see this week. And I will talk to you all again soon. Bye.
2: So I guess it's not so much catching up with the classics as whatever Corinne wants to watch this week now. It
1: is a classic, though. Um, I mean, it uh, it took me a minute to remember what it is, but it's uh, David L. Whopper, the guy who... uh, Produced the and, uh, the first Willy Wonka movie is sp- the spearhead behind it, and uh, it has Christopher Plummer and uh, Barbara Stanwyck. Um, so, I'd be interested to check it out. I've never seen it before. Um, yeah, I've only like heard myself. about it. Yeah.
2: yeah, I think yeah, she's I think she's right. James talked about it years ago hmm. on an episode.
1: Well, sweet. Well, that's cool, Crin. Glad the whole, you
2: had- the whole priest falling in love with the girl he raised. Is does this stand out like what?
1: Ooh, yeah. Thing. Well, yeah. You know.
2: I think Kevin Smith talked about it, too, on one of his podcasts, because I think he said his mom was really into it.
1: Is there anything he hasn't talked about yet?
2: Uh, Amazingly, um, he's still doing new things.
1: I don't want him to ever stop, because if he does, then for some reason the ninth gate of hell will open, and then we'll all fall in.
2: He's all standing between us and the apocalypse. You
1: you hear that, Kevin? You're protecting us from the the demons. So stay productive. (laughs) So don't listen to the Catholic Church. You're actually doing us a service.
2: (laughs) So, yeah, thanks, Corinne. Uh, we'll keep it up. Um, maybe next week she'll actually, uh, send something in.
1: We should, we should throw a suggestion her way of what classic to watch next.
2: Yeah, we could do that. They Although I don't know what she hadn't seen. So I don't know. Only she um,
1: does. if you haven't seen, I'll throw in one of my favorite films to be or not to be by, by Ernst Lubitsch. Um, check that one out. It's somewhere on a criterion channel of some kind um
2: you picked that one because it's sitting out on your desk
1: uh i picked it because we might be talking about it here in a little bit
2: um yeah
1: yeah but yeah cool corinne thank you for calling in again um and then yeah i guess the only thing left to do is go around town with brad and his not scooter because his scooter got ruined at some point now he's got a motorcycle i'm not as good as ryan fuck my life Hey, film buddies, follow
2: me around Denver. I'm going to s- stop putting the intro in because you guys <laughs> apparently are just going to keep going with this until the end of time.
1: I'm just like, I'm tr- I'm trying to keep this tradition alive, but I think if it needs to die, it needs to die. I do like yours, though, because it makes me picture an animated Brad going, follow me around Denver.
2: <laughs> um, I should change that up, too. <laughs> everything's old and should be replaced uh so this uh this week at the esquire midnight screening is demolition man december oh. 1st and november 30th i don't know why i did this backwards but uh <laughs> yeah so definitely going to that one
1: uh can we bring some taco bell into the screening sneak it in i don't know maybe we should try that ooh and then leave the rappers on the ground and I, then... <laughs> I know that
2: management will be angry but i think they'll understand like it's yeah, they'll, tie in. they'll
1: have to be like, "Son of a well, they got a point." <laughs> we should get 20
2: a uh, 24 pack of a uh, taco pack and just hand it out to everyone in line.
1: <laughs> that will really piss them off. <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: a bunch of shredded cheese on their floors. <laughs> Damn it, egg. <laughs> and the other thing, uh it's the most important thing this week is Open Screen Night is on Tuesday, November 27th.
1: fare thee well, Open Screen The
2: final night. final Open Screen Night. Um
1: Gone too soon, but never We're going to play them all. Play We're going to play all? it hard. We're going to play it, Sam? Yep.
2: Okay, cool. One last time. Your name's time. not Sam, though. It's Brad. It's not. <laughs> um, yeah, $5 gets you in, whether you're submitting or just coming to watch. Please just come to watch if you're not submitting anything. Um, it's a good time. You know, watch the funeral that we have planned for this event.
1: If it turns out that this is the most highly attended OSN of all time, I will, like, literally shit my pants with delight.
2: <laughs> That's always been the trick, though, is, like... You know, We'll always have that one good, you know, well-attended show of the year, yeah. and we'll think, like, yeah,
1: we're finally getting it.
2: This will <laughs> keep going forever, and then the rest <laughs> of the year is just like declining.
1: And someone comes up to you after the show and goes, you guys should just, just go ahead and keep it going. Everybody seems to like coming, They're like, no, no, no. You're not tricking me again. I know who you are. You're actually Satan. Try to pull off their mask, and then they get angry at you. It's not a well-thought-out plan, Brad. I'm just saying. Is that a Scooby-Doo thing? Yes. Okay.
2: <laughs> Let's keep this show going. Yeah. What's next? Uh, why don't we spin some real news?
1: It's real news. Um, this just came to my attention. I, I guess TJ Miller confirmed that he won't be in Deadpool 3. I kind of assumed that, but I guess he had to confirm it via social media. Uh, all he said was, "I'm not in it." Goodbye. Uh, didn't even put a D in the goodbye, so I don't know what hmm. that means. I, I don't. I don't understand text texting things, guys. Um, I really don't. But <clears throat> yeah, and they already said he wasn't going to be part of the X Force thing. So, um, and actually, this article did bring up a good point, which is like, um, uh, which is on comic book movie news or something. Uh, the Once Upon a Deadpool thing that's coming out in December there's no knowing if he's cut out of it at some at all at any point. So, um, I haven't seen Deadpool two since it opened. So I don't remember how integral he would be other than, I think
2: he's in a lot of the gags actually. So, right. But I I, I don't think, I I think at least half his gags, he didn't swear in, Mm -hmm. so he should be okay.
1: Right. So, but anyway, um, yeah, I don't know really how to feel about that. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, we had two deaths this week. Um, first was Nicholas Roeg, um, which I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, but he was the director of the, uh, the man who fell to earth. Um, and, uh, he was also, uh, a camera operator on some earlier films and was actually the cinematographer on the second unit of Lawrence of Arabia. Um, he died at 90. Um, I, uh. Oh, and also Don't Look Now is one of the things he directed. I'm not like the most up to snuff on him, but I have seen The Man Who Fell to Earth. It's a interesting film and one that uh, Bowie uh, actually redid as a play with uh, Michael C. Hall before he passed away. Um, but yeah, um, there's a lot of outpouring of love for his films, especially Carrie Elwes actually did a tribute to him on Facebook. So, uh, So 90, he will be missed. Um, the more prominent death though honestly is uh, a frequent talking point of this show for some reason is Ricky Jay a uh, famed uh magician passed we, away. We've talked about him on the show? Before? Yeah, we have. I I thought you'd say this. We talked to a lot of, We've talked to a lot about him on uh Film Explosion <laughs> episodes. Uh specifically whenever James <laughs> picks a movie somehow Ricky Jay's in it. Um I believe we've talked hmm. about him for the Bond movie he was in and also one of the David Mamet movies he was in. Uh, but he was also in Boogie Nights, uh, The Prestige, Mystery Men. Uh, he died at 72. Um, he's one of those guys where like, I recognize him and stuff, um, and he kind of comes in and out. But I don't really know much about his magic, but a lot of the uh, uh, affection that I was seeing for him on Instagram and Facebook was talking about how much they loved his magic. So clearly he uh, had an impact on that uh, community of fans. So. Do you
2: think the flags of the Magic Castle are half staff right now? Oh,
1: I hope so god oh my god my my cousin's been into it i don't know if you know anybody who's oh, into lucky it, yeah no i i mean like it's su- it's supposed to be exclusive i don't run, i don't get it um, yeah other
2: magicians have to invite you yeah <laughs> i don't know any magicians <laughs> i don't no, either there's one one more dead one
1: I, I don't know one and i don't think they're clamoring to talk to me so <laughs> yeah
2: because <laughs> they know i just expose their tricks. <laughs>
1: Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> uh well you know, if you weren't into Will Arnett, ask him if he'll invite you somehow. I'm sure he's been invited in somehow as a special guest.
2: <laughs> did he did he do a
1: magic thing? Will Arnett from Arrested Development as Job? Oh. Yeah. Well that's what happens <laughs> when you watch the series one time. Yeah, I know. Uh it's a great series. I haven't watched the new season though, so <laughs> that will tell you how interested I am at this point on it. Um we got some Aquaman news. Um First off, the uh, ticket sales for it, like early ticket sales, are actually surpassing Venom. So um, I I don't know how I was going to feel about that film succeeding or failing or whatnot. I just kind of was like, oh, it's coming out. Cool. We'll see how it happens. Um, but I've said before, and I'll say it again, I like James Wan, so I'm down to see this movie. Uh, the other uh, piece of news, in it, and you will probably know more about this than I do, uh, Julie Andrews is in the movie voicing a character named uh, Carathon. Um, I don't know anything about Aquaman lore. I don't know if you do, but you're the DC guy, so.
2: So Julie Andrews is an Aquaman and not Mary Poppins reboot.
1: Yes, and they are opening very close to each other, if not on the same weekend. I think it's the same
2: weekend. That's interesting.
1: So Julie Andrews is what getting revenge because this seems like dumb revenge. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be weird.
2: Like that's her, her excuse is I couldn't do the Mary Poppins because of my schedule because I was committed to Aquaman. <laughs> And yet they're appearing on the same day.
4: Yeah. I um, don't know. That's,
2: that's interesting coincidence. But this year is fraught with co- coincidence, uh, coincidences.
1: Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, she's Carathan, who's, like, the most powerful being on Earth. I don't know her story in the uh, Aquaman lore and whatnot. Me either. I know Aquaman talks to fish and says, yeah, or my man. Um. I want to go up to everybody at the Aquaman screening that I go to and go, My man, My man, My man, until they throw me out of the theater. (laughs) Woohoo! Yeah! (laughs) Dressed like a bat. I dig it. I dig it. (laughs) I dig dig it. it. Would you like more popcorn? I dig it. (laughs) Every five minutes
2: in the film, you just like turn to the person next to you. I I dig dig it.
1: it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) My man. (laughs) <laughs> redheads gotta love them <laughs> oh god yeah like what <laughs> What <laughs> does have to do with anything that's all me bro <laughs> yeah woo Um. but so yeah no I mean Julia Andrews has actually said honestly that she wasn't interested in being in Mary Poppins 2 I guess because this is Emily's movie so a cameo would be distracting um, early buzz on that film though is that it's amazing and that it has Oscar potential which I know the Oscars don't necessarily matter but uh pretty Interesting to think that it could be in the same place as the first one was. Um, to segue that into Disney mo- news, uh, we got a trailer for the Lion King remake uh, by John Favreau. Um, I mean, what did you think?
2: Um, it's a teaser, yeah. So well, it's a teaser, yeah. let you know it's there, and it, it accomplished that. Yeah, it's very literal, mm-hmm. except for one shot with the paw print. Yeah, isn't in the original Lion King trailer, but it's that's that. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, uh, there's nothing. I can judge it on, really.
1: I will be honest. Uh, yep. It's the most underwhelming trailer for a remake of theirs I've seen, in my opinion. No,
2: it, I thought the Aladdin one was kind of like, oh, here's much of sand. Yeah, actually, I'll, I'll
1: take that back. They're kind of on par and the same for me. Lion King's, the thing the Lion King has in its favor is that I like the Lion King a lot more than I like Aladdin. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, like I've seen a couple different reactions of going like, well, what's the difference? And they're like, oh, this is... It's, it's a different form of animation, which I totally agree. Um, this is like, it's, it's just a different form of animation, which is an interesting concept, but I mean, we all know why it's there, um, for a financial reason. So, um, (coughs) and that voice cast sounds awesome though, too. So I'll definitely be checking it out. Um, I mean, like, I'll say this, though. The Dumbo trailer has me more excited than the uh, than anything else in terms of the Disney remake canon.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's the first one out, right? Yeah, that's why we're getting more yeah. footage of it
1: and whatnot. Because um, I'd like to see how they get around certain things from the original Dumbo. Also,
2: Dumbo's more interesting because the story in the original cartoon is so shallow.
1: Well, yeah, because it's based on a very small picture book. So. Yeah, it's, it's
2: going to be, like, what we're going to be looking for is, like, what they added to, you know, right. pad it out some more. Whereas The Lion King and Aladdin pretty had pretty fleshed out
1: i'm not a fan of the screenwriter they got for dumbo um i mean sorry if anybody is i just don't really like him but it, Who? The, uh, his name's aaron krueger uh he mm. did the uh transformer sequels and uh the third third scream and i think he did an unofficial rewrite on the fourth scream mm. um i'm not a big fan of his but he clearly knows how to make movies for a mass audience so give it up to him i, I apparently can't do that um and uh but I will be curious to see how I feel about the film going forward um, when I've actually seen it. Um, I'm more curious to know what Michael Keaton's role is on, in all this. Um, I think he's a PT Barnum. Yeah, I like that he. I, I, I'm I'm figuring he's the villain, and so if that's the case, I like seeing him be flashy. So
2: yeah, I bet he's a like a villain you'll like to hate. Mm. Where he'll, you know. Initially you'll be you'll be drawn in by his charisma. And then boo hiss, and then hiss boo <laughs> as you go along, you'll kinda of like uh, the vulture, like. Yeah. I think I think he'll probably have probably that turn.
1: Yeah. The boo, boo, his, his uh and then the last thing uh is uh so there was a poll done um uh by the Hollywood reporter and uh they asked, like, well what franchise do you want to see rebooted? And uh Back to the Future was at the top of the list. Um. so yeah it's it, it's just more interesting in the sense like that's the one people are clamoring for in terms of this poll I know it's not the whole spectrum but
2: yeah I mean first of all please don't <laughs> second um, if you're going to do it just just don't reboot it Make it making it a sequel like back to the future Four. Mm-hmm. just you know you, you don't have to have Doc and Marty in it if that's your problem it's just, like you don't want to revisit those characters but have it you know just what 35 years probably
1: by the time it will come out yeah
2: into the future from where it left off
1: I guess you could do that introduce new characters I will say I'm not opposed to a reboot on it on the condition that they don't repeat any of those stories but they all they have to do is reboot the concept of kid and his professor friend have time machine do things done that's all you need
2: Which I guess they did with Rick and Morty, so you've kind of already got your reboot.
1: Yeah, so there you go. Um, But um, yeah, just thought that was an interesting way to close out this discussion. So, that was news.
2: So, I guess we should uh, look at what's coming out on DVD and Blu-ray and 4K. I think we should.
1: DVD releases and blu rays Zach,
2: what are the last DVDs coming out?
1: (laughs) Ever. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Well, the Critters collection is coming to de- Blu-ray from uh, Scream Factory. Um, I always wanted
2: to see that because the that's the movie that uh, Raphael watches, and the Ninja-, Ninja Turtles movie. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's like,
1: "Where did they come up with this
2: stuff? <laughs> this movie about Ninja Turtles? <laughs> talking you, about have stuff. you have you watched
1: any of the Critters movies? I haven't. Oh, well, then there there you go. Now you've got all of them in a box set, ready to go, including the one with Leo DiCaprio.
2: I, I would probably want to stream it first, make sure it's <laughs> worth owning. I yeah. mean, Shaw Factory is doing it so great. Yeah, but it's, it's worth it, but I don't have funds for everything in the world.
1: Oh, you don't? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I,
2: I just bought two 4K monitors and a HDD, or 4K Blu-ray player, so I'm well, good for right now.
1: Well, then I'll give you back the credit card I stole from you. What? Um <laughs> Shh. <laughs> the, Turn down your mic. Uh, uh, on the uh criterion front, we're getting the magnificent ambersons Orson Welles's second film and last film with RKO. Um It'll be interesting to see what they do with this, so I'm excited for that. Um, and uh, also from Criterion is True Stories, a David Byrne film, uh, which I have never seen. So uh, you can check that out. Um, the uh, The only really big new releases are uh, Searching, the John Cho film uh, about the Internet. Uh, which I
2: liked, so check that out.
1: I've heard it's great. I do want to see it. Um, it, it had a weird, like, inauspicious release. Like, I didn't know it came, and then when it came, I'm like, well, there's other stuff I've got to go to. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, but the, uh, the other release is the HBO limited series Sharp Objects, which has been getting great response, uh, particularly for Amy Adams' performance. So uh, check that out if you would like to. Uh Blue Underground's putting out Lucio Lucio Fulci's zombie, uh, which is awesome. I would recommend you check that out. It's, is,
2: that, is that zombie with an I?
1: Uh no zombie with an E, but it's it's zombie with an I. But uh-huh. um but yeah, no, they've and it looks like they've got variant covers too. One is uh of them walking on a bridge. Uh one is them of a woman who's gonna get stabbed with a piece of stick or wood, and uh, the third Third one is the what's supposed to be an artist rendition of the original poster which is just that grotesque looking zombie. Um you've seen it if you've looked through like uh um different like horror books and stuff like that. Um also on the Scream Factory front is a double feature called Munchies and Munchie. Um they both look like rodent movies and one of them has a rodent surfing on a pizza and apparently the rodent is played by Dom DeLouise. So uh go ahead and check that out if you want. Uh Sunset Productions is putting out Deep Throat on looks like Blu-ray. Um if you've never seen the highest grossing porno film ever made, I guess but Henry review Deep Throat for us. Why not? Go big. Um And then let's see. Uh a lot of uh back catalog releases. Uh Topper and Topper Takes a Trip are getting uh releases from uh Kino Lobor. Um and That's apparently it. I don't see anything else. Oh, Philadelphia on 4K. If you want to cry in 4K, go get Philadelphia. Um, A great Jonathan Demme movie. Oh, and then, I'm sorry, one more from Warner Archive, Brewster McCloud. So, yeah. (laughs) Great finale. Yeah, no, I never (laughs) heard of it. Um, It's a 70s film. Yeah. It's good. So. All right.
2: So let's talk about uh, what we've been watching.
1: So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching.
2: Zach, what have you been watching? I swear to God, you better make this quick. Okay.
1: <laughs> um, not a whole lot. Um, I watched the documentary Floyd Norman and Animated Life, uh, which is about Disney animator Floyd Norman, uh, who worked. Um, he started at Disney in the later years uh, before in, in the salt mines. <laughs> <laughs> everybody work. Ah, everybody worked. Um, but it, he worked with Disney, at, like at Disney at Disney's behest, or like it, under Disney's tutelage just before he passed away. He was one of the main animators on Mowgli in the Jungle Book. Um, and then he had an interesting life um, going forward. He's actually been fired and rehired by Disney several times. Um, and at one point they forced him to retire, um, which was a big thing because uh, other people around him who were the similar age were being kept around. Um, <clears throat> and Disney apparently was not happy when he put out a book that, talked about ageism and uh, how Disney handles it. And they requested Dis- Disney requested that he remove that from his book. Um, I won't spoil what happens cause I think you should watch it. If you're a fan of Disney animation and just filmmakers in general, or, um, anybody who's got a creative passion, um, his story is very interesting. Um, and, uh, watching him eat, they actually go inside the Disney studios and, uh, see all the offices and it's really neat. So, um, I would go ahead and uh, check that out if you get a chance. Um, also on the documentary front, I saw Wait for Your Laugh, the Rosemarie documentary. Um it's beautiful. It's a fucking beautiful tribute to Rosemarie. Um the I mean like it's tragic in a sense that the she I mean she got to see it was screened for people and then do Q and A's right before she died, but the main release comes later. But the because the whole impetus of the film is about how Rosemarie wants to keep working, but by the time you get to the like to the current day period, no one's wanting to hire her. Um, and she, she's she been working since such a young age that it's embedded in her to work. Um, <clears throat> the story about her husband is t- tragic and heartbreaking. I did not know about it. Um, the things I knew about her are actually within the first 20, 30 minutes of the documentary where she's this big radio star. She, uh, works under the mob. You know, like I knew she, um, had, um, uh, worked for the Flamingo in the first weeks with Bugsy Siegel. And I, but I also knew that she was, um, like she was protected by the mob for a big majority of her career because Capone liked seeing her on stage and her father was a, a low level hitman or like just one of those guys who'd like rough you up essentially. Um, but he was also controlling over her life and career. Um, the stuff about the Dick Van Dyke show is actually pretty interesting because it's interesting to hear her perspective on what she felt in regards to Mary Tyler Moore. Um, and I'm sure if Ryan were watching it, he'd like not take Rosemary's side. But I mean, who I don't know. Maybe Ryan will surprise me on that. Um, but also hearing about how she and Maury Amsterdam were like contributing, like as writers unofficially or even officially to that show is amazing. Um, and listening to Dick Van Dyke talk, um, I kind of want a documentary on Dick Van Dyke alone, you know, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, wait for your laugh. It's on Prime. I would check it out. It's pretty fucking great. Um, uh, so I was supposed to see the Ballad of Buster Scruggs at the Shays Artiste Theater, but I'm going to tell y'all what happened. I got to the theater with my dad because, again, it's a Netflix release. They want you to watch it on their platform. I want to see it in the theater. Ted Sarantos will get my hit play when I've seen it on a big screen. So we go in the theater, we get our ticket, we sit down, and then all of a sudden uh, you hear like kind of a click and, woof, and power goes out all across the lobby in all the theaters and all in, around the entire com- complex. And if you've never been to the Shea Artiste, it's like a, uh, a hole-in-the-wall mall kind of district thing. It's like, a strip mall
2: movie theater. Yeah,
1: it's pretty much. So the whole power goes out. Um, uh, the managers are searching around for stuff. And I didn't know how to react at first because um, I actually like started like, looking around and like seeing it. my first thought is like, well, when am I going to get it back up? But then my anxiety kicked in. Cause I don't like being in theaters where things are not going right. Um, so I actually told my dad, I was like, I'm going outside to like hit, take a hit off my vape or have a cigarette or something. And he's like, okay. And then we, um, uh, cause like that made me nervous. And I'm trying to quit smoking. So like, it's making me nervous. So finally he just came out and said like, they gave us, te- they gave us passes. We're going home. And it's good that we did because the snow was hitting so damn hard and the winds were going at 40 to 50 miles an hour that it would have been a bitch to get home anyway. Um, and it sucks because my dad and I love Coen Brothers movies. Um, he, he loves Our Brother Bart, That It's his favorite film of all time. And he's taken me to the Coen Brothers movies in the theaters since The Lady Killers. Um, I think we've only missed two of them. And, uh, so this was kind of disappointing, but I think we're going to try to go again tomorrow with those passes. So, but, The whole time uh, on the ride home, though, and I texted you this, but I was thinking, like, we were going to see a Netflix movie in the theater and then somehow it gave us the option to go see it at home instead by forcing our hand. I wouldn't be surprised if Ted Sarantos, operator, what's his name, Ted Sarantos?
2: He texted Chris Sarantos.
1: Uh, No, I I think I did, but I found out it was Ted Sarantos later Uh on. So I've been saying Chris Sarantos on the show for a while, so bear with me. But anyway, Ted Sarantos, guy who runs Netflix,
2: is always watching you with a satellite.
1: Not only that, and doesn't want you to see a movie in a theater. He wants you to see a movie in your house, like a couch potato asshole. Um, or not asshole, whatever. But Ted Saranto's head of Netflix doesn't want you to see a movie in a theater. I think he has a Geostorm machine. I think he has whatever is in that Gerard Butler movie I haven't seen yet.
2: <laughs> you went such a long way for that joke.
1: I know. It's I know. <laughs> but like again, I think he's controlling the weather. I think he saw my posts on Instagram. I shouldn't have posted to Instagram. That was my problem. He doesn't care about the five o'clock screening of people
2: or the three o'clock screening of people or the one o'clock screening of people. Or the about, seven o'clock. He cares about Zach at nine
1: twenty five. He says like, Oh, I know you're gonna be an asshole about this and I'm gonna make you see it on your laptop. <laughs> I'm like uh it just it was frustrating. So uh yeah. And um, he's
2: and he's waiting for you to go back so he can shut down the machine again. Because <laughs> you still have like 30 more chances to see it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've gone mad with power. <laughs> he won't see any of the movies. He won't get to see Roma. <laughs> I spent $5 million
2: on a weather machine <laughs> just to fuck with Zach Eastman <laughs> and the Coen brothers.
1: Oh, God. Well, cool. Maybe the Coen brothers and I will team up and stop them. Uh, but the last thing I did see was, so Um, Brad and I went to Black Thursday, Friday, uh, doorbuster Thursday, and I finally got a 4K TV. Um, I had worked hard at saving on it for a whole year. So I've got it. I got it and a 4K player. Um, I did not go for a 4K disc right away, though. I went ahead and put in my criterion of to be or not to be, um, uh, which had a 2K scan. Um, I just basically wanted to test different discs out, um, and see what they looked like on the new player and the new TV. And I've never seen to be or not to be look that great. Um, uh, if you don't know the movie, you it's, know,
2: it's not a 2K projection though, right? No, I know, but like, okay.
1: but it's still, it's still doing something that the TV that I had before is not doing. But did you think that I would see the true projection?
2: Uh, no. You, you're like, you know, I got the story is I got this new four K TV, and then I watched a regular ass Blu-ray on it.
1: <laughs> right, but but Ryan and I have been talking about, or I've been talking about this, and he said on the show like it does improve the quality, so
2: like it it it's probably a little sharper. Yeah. But so, but it still encoded it yeah. as an MP4. Or well, something. anyway,
1: it looked better to me than it's ever looked before, especially on that smaller TV. Um, but yeah, to be or not to be is a, uh, also,
2: can you imagine how many, uh, how much closer you would have gotten to that TV if you hadn't bought cigarettes all year?
1: That's true. That's why I'm trying to quit. <laughs> That's why I'm trying to quit. Anyway, continue. Uh, anyway, so. wait, stop again. <laughs> now continue. Um, but yeah, to be or not to be is a film with it's Carol Lombard's last film, Jack Benny's and it. I've talked about it before. Um, actually surprisingly, I hadn't really thought about this, Um, uh, in the past two years. I've rewatched it, but I haven't thought about it. That movie's more relevant now than it has any right to be, uh, because of the content of the film. Um, it's uh basically about a theater troupe that stops Nazis who uh invade Poland and try to escape Poland. Um and it's uh eerily relevant. Um uh throughout a big majority of it. More more than you'd think. Um but uh it's a great film. Uh it's Shakespeare motif kinda running through it and then mixed with screwball comedy, it's uh it's it's obviously Jack Benny's best film he ever did um, in terms of being an actor, um, and I think Carol Lombard if had she not died, uh, and th- th- there might be like it might have gotten a better reception at the time, but watching the film, the issue is is that it comes out in 1942. It's directly addressing the problem of Nazis, whereas only other one one other film had done that in history prior to that, which was Confessions of a Nazi Spy from 1939. So this film was going to be a problem no matter what, regardless if it's released right after Pearl Harbor has happened. Like it was always kind of set up to be like clashing with the norms of society a little bit. And like, how do you present a problem like, like this in a comedic way? Um, so it was always kind of, it's, it's watching it. I'm like, no, it, there's nothing you could have done to make this a bigger success that at the time it came out, I think. Cause ultimately, it's all predicated on you laughing at something that's eerily relevant and eerily dangerous. So, but then I also thought, you know, we have a movie like black Klansman come out this year. That's eerily relevant, but you saw the film. It's, it's got moments of humor in it that are damn funny. Um, so, but yeah, um, it looked great on, uh, on that TV and I could notice some production design that I hadn't seen before. I didn't notice some of the, um, detail in the sets, um, it was a quarter production, so it was well financed. So, but like you can see the where they're doing a play in the theater, the stage and the like design of it looks like it's impeccable. Like I'd never seen it look that good. So, but yeah, uh, to be or not to be, if you haven't ever seen it, check it out. Uh, and that's all I watched this week.
2: Cool, Brad. What did you watch? Brad, sorry, Brad. What did you watch this week? So part of my reward for uh, being a Warner Brothers spy. Um, not spy um inside reviewer your
1: your confession of being a spy sounds suspiciously like being a spy
2: yes i'm I'm trying to throw you off using reverse (laughs) psychology um so my reward for reviewing a bunch of stuff all year um was a subscription for the new warner or dc universe channel app um oh with the teen titan show yeah fuck batman and really everything that DC has ever done (laughs) with Warner (laughs) brothers, uh, including obscure, um, superhero movies from 1984 called Supergirl.
1: Oh yeah. I'm sorry.
2: Which again, I, I've, I was, I've been on this thing of lately, like I'm going to watch something that, you know, is like a cult classic to some people and it's going to be amazing. And wow. Um, I'm surprised how this get made chose quest for peace over Supergirl
1: to do. how this get made on?
2: Because Supergirl is way more insane um, than
1: if you want something to tide you over until they come to their senses. The We Hate Movies crew did it, and I, I, I was just like, "Yep, they're accurate. They're on point. They're they're getting this exactly right." It's insane.
2: Yeah. Um. I I don't want to spend the whole episode talking about it, but um.
1: <laughs> well, we'll do a separate podcast called "Let's Talk About Supergirl."
2: <laughs> yeah, Supergirl. Um. Is given an, an orb, a magic orb by Peter O'Toole. It mm-hmm. flies off the planet. She chases after it.
1: Peter O'Toole, by the way, creepy as fuck in this movie.
2: Um, and her space travel, she emerges from the ocean mm-hmm. of the Earth rather than flies through the cosmos. <laughs> um, so there's a portal in, in the Earth's crust or crater or core. Um, and so she emerges from that and then is immediately assaulted by two truck drivers. Yep. Um, which she thankfully dispatches very quickly. Mm. Um, and then she goes to college yep. and all-girls school because I'm not sure why she had to do that first to find the orb. Um, and mean, meanwhile, Faye Dunaway is Serena, basically a witch, mm. uh, originally just a billionaire who wants to take over the world. Um, and then when she once the orb literally kind of falls into her lap and she, uh, <laughs> guesses the incantation to unlock its power. Um, she becomes a witch. And then from then on, it's her just screwing with people and making tractors sentient. Um, and then Supergirl okay. tracks her down and then they could just kind of have like a battle of powers.
1: This is when cannons, um, had the rights to, to Superman. Yeah. Stuff. That's all kind. So, um, um
2: And then also it's like two hours long. It might be the longest like Superman ish movie
1: other than maybe the first (laughs) Superman. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and
2: then also, um, the guy she saves from the tractor immediately falls in love with her Mm -hmm. and is a total creep from then on out. Mm -hmm. Um, his goal is immediately to have her marry him. (laughs) Um, yeah. So that's Supergirl. mm
1: Hmm. Uh, if you want to see something insane, you should watch it. I saw it um, uh, when I when my sister and I, had she had that Superman set and whatnot. We found Supergirl at the library. We watched it, and I hated it, and I'm fairly sure she hated it. I, I never asked her, um, but I hadn't seen it since. Listen, and then I listened to that episode of We Ate Movies on it, and I was like, oh, God, it's all flooding. It was like a flood coming back to you. Like, it was weird. So yeah, don't, don't, don't watch it unless you're like, I you know what? I would have loved it five years ago when I was still smoking weed or drinking. So, you know?
2: Yeah. Um, the other thing I watched, uh, is, um, the girl in the spider's web, which we toyed with making a, an episode of the week, but
1: oh, how's Claire Foy?
2: Um, you know, I, I wasn't like invested in the dragon tattoo American.
1: Were you invested in the Swedish ones at all or? No, I didn't watch those either. Uh, okay.
2: Um, so, yeah, the the American one didn't get me interested in those three. Um, and I can't then, remember
1: if they're actually Swedish. <laughs> uh,
2: Norwegian? Yeah, Norwegian. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, so it's kind of more the same, um, a little less, you know, F- Fincher had some accents to it that, like, made you remember things. Like, more stunning visual style, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, This one is very much like, um, if the person who just made don't breathe, uh, a story entirely contained in one house, Mm -hmm. um, carried over a lot of that to, um, multiple houses. (laughs) Um, you know, a lot of the story takes place in, in her, um, sanctuary, Mm -hmm. um, which is blown up and then she moves on to different safe houses mm-hmm. um that she has stashed around Sweden.
1: Did she did he uh, help write the script or did you see I don't know. because uh, then maybe that's why. But if it's not then maybe that's just a coincidence of the uh the story that they're telling because I yeah. know it's an expansion of those books um the millennium trilogy which cuz they're not written by the original author. So
2: uh but basically the story m- mounts to um um, I can't remember her name.
1: Elizabeth Salander.
2: Yes, Salander. Um, <laughs> Salamander. She, Salamander. <laughs> um, she has a gecko, uh, pet in the movie, which I don't remember. I think it just disappeared from rene- the story.
1: I don't remember if she had it in that first movie either, or in the uh, Swedish version. Yeah,
2: and I actually, think the hacker she gives it to maze that makes that joke of like <laughs> Salander Salamander. Anyway, um, she grew up. Her dad was a creep. Um, yeah, and she had a sister. And she was fed up with her dad molesting them. So she bailed mm. literally by jumping out the window and her sister wouldn't go with her. She sided with her dad. Um, and then years later, uh, she is being framed for a bunch of stuff. Um, and there's a defense contractor, American defense contractor mm-hmm. who has like the latest satellite technology. I think the golden eye program basically, Mm -hmm. (laughs) is who he's working on um and he wants her to expose it Mm -hmm. because he's like oh i regret making this thing um oppenheimer i guess um (laughs) i regret making this destructive thing (laughs) and then uh you know history jokes are fun (laughs) and much like um uh, what i watched recently he has a son who uh is super smart and knows all his codes Mm -hmm. uh and uh once her dad is killed or his dad is killed uh elizabeth has to you know protect him um oh god what movie i'm sorry i'm trying to remember the movie i watched it's, it's like three times this year it's been uh, the hero has to rescue a child like deadpool 2 is that what's the other one they're the kids autistic oh my god uh, Is is it one we reviewed too yeah it's it's a oh, fuck I just get in my letterbox to try to find it. Oh god! Anyway, so that's basically the story. And then uh, the the reporter for the Millennium newspaper, whatever is that? Michael Blomquist? Yeah, Mm -hmm. um, Miguel. Yeah, all these people are played by new characters, so it's not Daniel Craig again. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he wrote this blockbuster article, the the girl with the dragon tattoo. Yeah. Um, but then his paper gets bought out by some Millennium or millennial mogul who screws around all day and just, um, you know, doesn't do the work, just enjoys the riches. Mm -hmm. And so the paper's failing. Um, and he's looking for his next big story. Um, and he's still consumed with Elizabeth. So he's, you know, helping her out and hoping that this leads to another thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but then he realizes that he needs to stop doing that because it only brings trouble. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Uh, it's it's what it is. Yeah, it's just it's kind of like a s um your typical tech thriller set in the snow. Um
1: it, it good enough to warrant uh, a franchise.
2: Yeah, I don't know. It, it's
4: it's
1: <laughs> uh, where it certainly well, didn't get your
2: <laughs> Well, I'm thinking about like so there'd be one more, right? Um and they've already had to change out the cast entirely and the director. And well,
1: I mean, but this is the, the intention of this one is that they don't rely on the original three books, so they could theoretically go into however many, many they want to.
2: Oh, this isn't a story from?
1: No, it's not. So the girl with the dragon tattoo, the one that Venture did was part one of a three part trilogy that the original author did. The original author died and then another author carried it on and did other stories. This one's supposed to be by the other author. And there's been other books since. So you could go off into a franchise, theoretically. Okay, so
2: it wouldn't be like um, Fifty Shades of Grey, where it's like there's <laughs> no. three of them, and they, well, then you just give up. For multiple reasons, but yes, yeah. for that
1: one specifically. Well,
2: Twilight's not a good one, because there's four of them, but... Um, <laughs> but they somehow made it... But it's it? like the... the. Um,
1: it's like, you know what it is? It's like the Robert Langdon It's like films. Narnia, where... Well, Narnia, yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, they've gotten through... I think. And then they're just like, okay, we're just going to start over. Yeah. Um, so this one is just like based on the box office, will they get to it? third will it just be these two? I don't I, know.
1: I don't know. It seems like Claire Foy's films in October and November have, uh, kind of faltered. I'm not saying that's her fault. She's actually great in first man. Um, and, uh, I've seen that disappear from theaters entirely. Uh, this one, I don't, I think it's playing like two different show times every time I check. So
2: yeah. it's fine. It, like, the cat, the the actors are finding it.
1: The yeah. story's just kind of like I want to check it out. Um, not that surprising. Yeah, as I liked, I liked the Swedish films. I liked the um, um uh, uh, the American remake by Fincher, obviously, which basically is Fincher remaking a Fincher homage. So
2: yeah, uh, I also got a chance to watch the second volume of the best friends two part movie uh, by Greg Sistero. Oh hi, Brad. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> probably like. Eighty percent less Tommy in part two, really because uh the i mean you'd have to see him to understand like the relationships of the characters right um because no one's really like a good guy mm-hmm. um but the first one in you know this this character John, I think it's John, which is interesting cause John- Johnny's you know Tommy was his character, but grace is character um you know he befriends. You don't know what his backstory is, and you don't really find out in volume one.
1: But he was a hobo who was on the street, right?
2: Well, that's all you know. Oh. Like, you pick up with him as being homeless and, like, holding up signs, and his shirt's all bloody, and, and it's never really explained. So yeah. they go through the whole first movie, just building this r- this relationship with this uh, mortician uh, played by Tom Uzo. Mm-hmm. And then Tom Uzo is pushed off a cliff at the end of the first volume. Oh, bye movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, That reminds me. Um so then it picks up um Grace Estero's character has you know been convinced by his new girlfriend to betray Tom Wiseau steal his money uh which is get the safe is an actual ATM machine that's like got this weird mechanism mm-hmm. uh so they decide like okay well we can't break into it so just load it in the car and we'll take it to Colorado with us <laughs> and we'll find someone there who can open it um and then on the way um she knows this rancher um who the guy who plays him is a guy. So the screen I went to Greg Sestero was there and he explained this guy Uh is an actor that he knew when he was modeling. You all right?
1: Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> hiccuping.
2: Uh, when he was modeling, you know, back in the early two thousands, Uh very like Clint Eastwood esque kind of guy. <laughs> is like, it Scott? <laughs> uh, huh? Is it Scott? <laughs> no. Um, yeah, you know, he was on he was in on this soap opera that Greg's mom watched, um, so that's how he knew him and he ran into a modeling mm-hmm. and uh that guy eventually his career just kind of disappeared and he went off into his thing. And Greg tracked him down and he's like, you know, I wrote this character with you in mind, would you mind playing him? And he's like, you know, he does it. Um and he's kind of like it's it's acting, so I don't know if it's like really his personality or not, but he it's kinda like the um, like a more aggressive Tommy. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So this guy be- kind of becomes like the villain of part two, um, and it, it usually it occasionally flashes back to Tommy Wiseau, who's in a like knight's helmet. Um, he's got Greg <laughs> chained up, and it's like it's very David Lynchian, or at least what I imagine David Lynch films to be. Uh, it's very surreal. Like you
1: should th- watch one and then compare the two. <laughs> yeah, is this
2: really happening or not? Is this uh, something that in Greg's head? Because this is not reality. Yeah. Tommy was warning him about like friendship and like getting too close to people and stuff. So anyway, that's where this one goes. Is like um, Greg dealing with people trying to double cross him, trying to get in the safe, and then mm-hmm. like this rancher guy—is he who he says he is? Like, is he, is he actually helping or is he trying to double cross him? Um, and then you know, resolving what happened with. Tommy in the first movie so it's it's more it's more traditional like the first one is very weird and the second one the second part is very traditional it's a little surreal but it's more of an sort of an action thriller hmm um, yeah like the first one's more mysterious right and definitely worth a watch the whole the both parts he said you know it, because Tommy is such a strong character and this rancher guy is such a strong character you can have them
1: in inter- a like watching them
2: together in one single setting uh, it felt off. Yeah, so that was the uh, impulse to split them into two. And it's I I agree. Like if you tried to s- watch those two stories and even try to trim some of their stuff down to make them both fit, um, it would just be a mess. So it's good that they're kind of separated. Um, so but yeah, that that, that comes out on Blu-ray I think in January. So
1: so my question then is is that so obviously Tommy Wiseau, The Room, Greg Sestero, The Room, stuff like that. that notorious worst movie ever made right does best friends like qualify in the worst category or is it actually just like pretty decent like hey this is worth a watch it's worth a watch um i mean
2: it's shot better right uh, certainly um the plot is more it makes more sense i guess <laughs> Uh, like when when characters make decisions they make sense you know it's not just arbitrary stuff like in the room where um you know there's suddenly like a drug subplot for denny
1: what kind um, of money
4: <laughs>
2: yeah or you know even um lisa just kind of within the first 5 minutes seducing um why are you Mark. doing this yeah what have you done to me uh and that brings Shawnee's me to th- my best friend uh, that brings me to the other thing i watched is i went to The room. um, Oh, so you did end up going? I ended up going again. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was encouraging Ryan to go, but after watching it this time, I'm almost against that because when I most of the times when I went to watch, the audience was on the same page Mm -hmm. and they all did the same jokes. Now it's devolved into a lot of dudes trying to get all the attention, like the best joke in the room. Mm -hmm. So they're making up new shit that's not funny Mm -hmm. and they're all competing with each other and it's just you know and it, it the jokes usually are more degrading like there's a lot of body shaming jokes for lisa mm-hmm. um and um
1: i can't say that there weren't at the ones that i went to but they were like
2: there were a couple but it's really like that's all the jokes now yeah, it's like it, really if, out of hand if
1: that's dominating the situation then i'm sorry i would not want to go to the that sucks that that's happening at the esquire <laughs> um, yeah
2: it just yeah it's it's so much not like yeah, everyone's just calling her a bitch constantly from the audience. So then, like, for cheating and stuff. Which... So,
1: so I'm wondering if this is people who like saw the Disaster Artist, and that's the only like connection they have. Like, I feel like when you find this film outside of the Disaster Artist, you tend to maybe I don't know feel a little bit more like playful with it. But it's but I'm just I'm unfortunately correlating the release of the disaster artist last year to the recent development. I've been hearing of you telling me that the audiences are getting like nasty.
2: I don't think it has anything to do with the disaster artist. I think it's just people who you know need attention
1: right, and I'm not even saying that I'm not saying the disaster artist has that connection. It's just like you know like different people find different entry points into things, and so like this this is something I hadn't heard of until you were telling me this as early as the film explosion at the beginning of this year or so cuz you were talking about like the the time you went back yeah i think last time i was talking about
2: how like oh there's you know just people trying to like that was mild compared to this wow like it's you know four mostly dudes um just yeah yelling out the stupidest shit and like the meanest shit too it's like it's poorly crafted mean jokes um mm-hmm yeah like the body sh- I'm trying to think of the other ones like the body shaming ones with the ones that stand out cuz they're just yelling bitch um to her constantly um and making fun of her appearance but um yeah
1: and they're all directed at uh or least. just yeah
2: like yelling fuck you um to other characters you know um especially the, when the, they get in fights and stuff
1: maybe i what
2: no, i know it's like i liked it when it was just like
1: park that car park that car yeah no
2: yeah, yeah. where doing, are we are they not
1: doing those anymore
2: or? they are but they're like even mild and actually the surprising one was like oh hi gun um no I, one I, did. I i
1: i so i didn't that's I, a Rift tracks one but i yeah like people should be doing it yeah uh, um if i wasn't in the
2: far back i would have yelled it myself but. yeah but
1: uh no yeah i mean <laughs> i i don't know like because the first time I went, I didn't say anything or try to contribute. I just sat there and took it in. Yeah, me too. And I think that's what I you I still do. Yeah, and then... Other people have it covered. Yeah, and then... Uh, but then as I got kept going, like, Brett Jones and I did the football thing at one point where we brought a football in and played with it before the screening started. And, you know, I, I, I don't remember if we ever did spoons, really, for it. I think we did it once.
2: Yeah. Oh, my God, there were so many spoons. Yeah,
1: I'm sure there were. But... Which I, I <laughs>
2: like, but it was just... I I was surprised at how I'll be honest, many they actually had at the screening.
1: Yeah, I'll be honest. I'm I, hearing that. I'm kind of glad I didn't go because I don't want to like have that experience. Sour. I like the last time I saw the room was great because it was at the Alamo where we could still interact. Um, but uh, but also Greg Sistero was there, so it's like kind of the high note I want to leave on the room right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I still need to see Rocky Horror Picture Show, so hopefully that hasn't turned into a fucking misogynist nightmare. Yeah. Um, but anyway, cool the room.
2: Yeah, um, and then the last thing I saw is there's six more episodes of *Mystery San Sierra 3000* called I still *The Gauntlet*, yeah. um, and it's great. Um, they've sort of trimmed the fat of from the return, so like they don't take that, you know, Moon Thirteen, the Moon Break mm-hmm. uh, between things, and uh,
1: so they show the whole movie. Hmm. Huh? So they show the whole movie instead of doing commercial breaks.
2: Yeah, I guess they they play. I mean. They usually break and go to the, the right, countertop, the, Still, yeah, but, but there was
1: still always still commercial breaks, like the Moon Thirteen, the Moon thing.
2: Yeah, no, which I guess makes sense because their whole advertisement is like binge watching. So mm-hmm. why would they take a commercial break? Right. Um. But yeah, there's still the breaks for the robots to play around. And the yeah. You know, overall, like Macamy's is probably my favorite of the six, which is mm-hmm. the first one. Um. But yeah, you, uh, the, the Atlantic Rim is pretty good too. Um, and then all the little um you know, all the little gags between watching the movie or fantastic too. Uh, and they're building another like serialized like as each episode goes on their f- battle between the mads, um, is leading up to something, uh, at the end. So it's not just like episodic, you know? Um, so, and it's just, I'm curious because of the way it ends at six. Um, I wonder if they've been holding back on the fact that there's another six episodes, but, the mads have to review them, mm. um, which would be amazing. I think if the tables returned, Whoa. so there would be a twelve episode season. But the last six were.
1: I th- thank you for not spoiling it entirely. But yeah, I, was, I mean, I, I had to forget. put something I'll, out I'll there. forget. I'll forget. Then wake up tomorrow morning yeah. going like, "Go, it Um. Well, that's cool. You yeah. Know? No, I just I don't know why, but I couldn't find time to squeeze it in with. Yeah. Um, I mostly Olives watched it in the background, stuff. but. I can't do it with that. I have to. I have to. You I
2: have to watch that little silhouette on screen all the time.
1: No, it's not that. It's like it's it's with anything I do. Like unless I've seen it before, like a couple times, I can't do background viewing anymore. I used to be able to do it like crazy, and now I can't do it. Like uh, when I do work or something like that, I'll put like. I'll put a Mel Brooks movie on in the background because I know I can get invested in it whenever I'm bored, but then I can also focus on stuff.
2: That reminds me, um, I did pop in The Godfather because I was like, I want to test the picture quality of this Mm Blu-ray. And next thing I know, I've finished the movie. (laughs) Um, So so what do you think, best movie of all time? (laughs) Not best movie of all time, but it's definitely... It's amazing. It's so engaging for being also kind of just boring.
1: Well, yeah, it's because those characters are so well... well, well I I
2: shouldn't say boring. It's like all the scenes are really... Mostly just talking. I mean, yeah, there's some gunplay. It's slow and, and a, a car explosion. Yeah, um, but that's very small compared to how many scenes are just characters talking to each other. Like it's an actor's dream, of course, just you know, perform. It, but
1: it's it's a uh, it's a reflective and thoughtful film about the gangster life, as opposed to the the natural gangster. Uh, Motivation would be like bang bang shoot him up, like fast paced. The Scorsese would be the most modern example, yeah. or even like if you go back to a Bogart movie. And what Coppola's film does is that it sits in it. Um, and the long end-
2: stretches of just b roll of like mm-hmm. ceremonies, like a parade after Michael gets married. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously in the beginning, just the. <laughs> The wedding stuff uh, for his sister.
1: Well, not as long as the wedding and the deer hunter. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, but no, yeah. I mean, it's also a time when they're experimenting with stuff. I haven't seen part three in a while, so I don't know how it even remotely holds up uh, as its own film because I know it doesn't hold up compared to the first two.
2: Yeah, I'd say it's visually different, but I, oh, I, yeah. I'm not like, oh, what an abomination. <laughs> they never should have done this. That's not I actually, where I said
1: I actually love the final moments of um, Godfather part three. And I think it should be called The Death of Michael Corleone. It shouldn't be called Guardfather Part 3. It should have just been called The Death of Michael Corleone. That would have been a great title for it. The story, um, I, I remember the cousin thing was something I didn't like. But other than that, it was interesting. Because I like the notion of um, Michael and Kay having to reconcile their past. Um, that was always a fascinating draw for me to rewatch it. So, So, yeah,
2: that's what I watched this week. Cool. Which brings us to our movie of the week, which is Creed Two. Mm-hmm. Zach, should people see Creed Two?
1: Yeah, I, I think he should. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I'm, I didn't get to see the first Creed in theaters, so it's been a Blu-ray watch for me. Um, I would love to see this and Creed uh, Creed and this film back to back in a theater as a duology because I think they actually work uh, together really well as a double feature because they're both. Telling flip sides of a story um, that all centers around one event in Rocky four and uh, and parts of the different series going forward. But but Jordan's great. Stallone's great. But the fucking standout hands down is Dolph Lundgren. Who knew that fucker could act uh, as well as he does? I know he's a good action star and whatnot, and we enjoy watching him and stuff. But. Jesus Christ like I'll I'll talk about it after the trailer but uh, this film had me crying in the last 15 minutes and I didn't stop till the credits rolled so yes please go check it out
2: uh, yeah I mean the original Rocky movies were like that where two was like like the next day um, or the next hour even um, and it just rolled right off the first one so I, I imagine this would be a great 2 part to watch um, and I hope it keeps going because um, while I feel like unfortunately yet again uh, Adonis Creed story was the least interesting to me. Cause it's so the story we've seen so many times before. Mm-hmm. Um, I was more interested in Drago and his son's story, which is touched on very little bit, like very, mm. s- a small bit of that is in the movie and it's not explored to its full extent, but you, you get what's going on. And then, uh, Rocky's I'm surprised wasn't resolved in the last one. Um, they just gave him cancer instead. Um, And even we thought was resolved in Rocky Balboa, Um, so it's it's cool they got. I'm amazed that they still find stuff for him to do after seven because we should talk about that
1: part after the trailer. Yeah, because it is a spoiler.
2: So yeah, I think it's good. It's good watch. It's um, like I said, I'm more interested in the side characters than Creed, unfortunately. Um, Mm. But it's still a good movie, and uh, what they do with his family is good and interesting. So uh, I guess here's the trailer for Creed Two.
4: If we don't do what we love... then we wouldn't exist. It's time, kid. It's like nothing really matters to him right now. Including me. You gotta think real hard about this. You got people that need
3: you now. I'm taking the fight.
4: Victor Drago, son of Ivan Drago, who infamously killed Apollo Creed, appeared today to issue a challenge to Adonis Creed.
3: Don't do this. I ain't got a choice. That's the same thing your father said, and he died right here in my hands.
4: That kid was raised in hate. It's dangerous.
3: He broke things in me that ain't never been fixed. It ain't worth it.
4: It's not just us anymore, Dave.
3: I want to rewrite history.
0: If you want to fight this man, that's your business. But don't pretend this is
4: about your father.
3: This here is all about my wife. My kids, the life that I live. Through the night, I was his. It
4: was right, when I did. My ups and downs, my slips, my falls, my trials and tribulations,
0: my heart, my balls. This won't be the end of me.
4: Or you. It can't be. I you know what you're fighting for. Round after round, you
0: learn more about yourself. And when I stepped in that ring, it wasn't all about me.
1: I could see how you're not as interested in Creed. I'm kind of the I'm definitely the opposite. I I enjoy that story of Creed, like from the first one onward. The idea of him trying to reconcile every aspect of his past. Um, there's there's something that Jordan does that I think is great, which he he his he exudes a lot of confidence in his performances, um, but there's always a pain behind that, and with with the Creed films in particular. I think, and especially in this one, I think it's him trying to understand, or, or like I, I like that struggle with him where he's trying to understand, like, well, I thought I, I thought I proved my worth, so why do not, why do I not feel good, and uh, to to watch it unfold the way it does, especially with now he's got a kid, now he's put in that position. I know there are dramatic devices that are conveniently placed. And whatnot, but you know what? The whole Rocky series has been conveniently placed things, well, uh, in its own right. Not so necessarily,
2: like in '76, like Rocky losing, to right? People well, for a loop. Well, well, for the first out, movie.
1: outside of that, I'm talking more of just like, oh, this character has a baby, or this character, right. like you know. But has in this
2: it? series, he started out by winning, right? He won his fight out, and then uh, no, and he
1: it, loses at the end of Creed. I thought he lost at the end of Creed, and then he, but then he goes on to win the title. That's the that's the whole impetus of the beginning of Creed too. Is that he lost the fight to McGregor, or the the, the, the the guy who was going to prison? But then he came back, did a series of fights, and then won against um, the guy for the title.
2: Right. So at the end of the movie, he's the champion.
1: At the end of uh, no, at the end of Creed, he lo- loses. Creed two opens with him with them saying he lost the fight to the guy who was going to jail. But then he did a series of fights, and now he's up to this point. Um, it catches you up. No, I, I know how this one
2: starts, Zach. Oh. <laughs> I'm just—I don't—I haven't watched the first one in a while, but I remember leaving it thinking like, "Oh, well, that's what's different from the Rocky movies is he actually wins the first movie."
1: No, it's—I—I I, no, he loses it, but he—he he earns the right to call himself Creed because he fights a good fight.
2: Yeah, so it's like Rocky. Yeah, that's not how I remember it at all. But uh-huh. all right. Um, Unless I'm
1: wrong, but I got, that's what I remember. Well, so. that's what
2: informed my appreciation for this movie then is I mm-hmm. thought he lost. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it was like, well, I, I thought he won. So I was like, well, what would make this movie different is that he would lose, which he does in the first 20 minutes or whatever. Right. Um, and then uh, I was like, okay, well, he, if he loses in the beginning of the movie, he's going to win by the end. So immediately, I'm like, okay, well, I know where his story is going. Mm-hmm. The things I don't know is like the him deal. The interesting part of his story is him having... Um, a wife with hearing, or uh, not a hearing loss, but a hearing deficiency. Uh, mm. What the, what's it called? Deterioration.
1: But eventually, sure, her hearing will go out completely, regardless of a hearing aid.
2: Yeah, um, and their their struggle is like they didn't expect to have a, a child so soon, and also her condition is hereditary, mm-hmm. so they're worried about their child getting it. And the cool, <laughs> the weird, the the interesting part is like they go full. Like, as writers, they go ahead and, like, give them that issue. Right.
1: Um, uh, really quickly to confirm, Con- uh, in the words of Max Kellerman Conlon won the fight, but Creed won the night. Huh. Yep.
2: All right. Well, after watch Creed again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that just makes but, it that much less interesting because I'm like, oh, it's not even different from Rocky at all.
1: Um. um it reinvigorates Rocky. It doesn't do anything to uh change it. it. It it ignites a fire that had been dim for a while. um yeah. well,
2: like I said, uh, I guess I I forgot that because I was focused on in the first Creed Rocky being like not only he's got cancer but he's dealing with fading in, into obscurity. Like all mm-hmm. his friends and family around him are gone. Right. Um. And then this movie picks it back up, where it's like, oh yeah, he has this kid. Yeah. Uh, from cancer's, Rocky Balboa,
1: cancer's gone, but he still hasn't. Dealt with the kid yet?
2: Yeah, and he didn't deal with his son while he had cancer. So by the end of this movie, we're led to assume that he, his son doesn't even know he dealt with cancer.
1: Right, and and by the way, my um, uh, Milo Milo Ventimiglia from uh, Rocky Balboa does return to play his son in one scene. Yeah, um, which. Honestly, opens the door if they want most wanna... emotionally
2: distressing movie of the or scene of the movie.
1: Oh yeah, well one of them. I mean, I I actually like the scene where at the very end when he shows his um, daughter to the like takes his daughter to the grave of Carl Weathers and like it, it kind of gives me a, a, a tear jerk. And also seeing that uh, Drago and his son go back to just keep training to just keep fighting or something. Yeah, so at least that's the implication.
2: Yeah, the third the third story point that we haven't discussed yet is while. Creed has his own thing going on with his wife and his newborn. Mm-hmm. And Rocky's dealing with reconnecting with his son um, and struggling to just make a phone call. Um, <laughs> uh, Ivan Drago is trying to impress um, the Russian government because um, at the end of Rocky Four, you kind of feel like, oh, he he has the respect. Of, he, he respects Rocky now. Like, he beat me. But in the last 30 years, um, the government over re- was to re- embarrassed re- by his loss yeah. and ruined his life
1: and uh, actually led to the um, the Brigitte Nielsen character apparently leaving him with uh, to raise a son on his own
2: yeah so Brigitte Nielsen's in this movie
1: yeah saying nothing really no, literally almost nothing yeah
2: didn't know she was gonna make an appearance but um yeah like uh, it's almost
1: the opposite because Drago never talks in that fourth one and she talks a lot yeah. and then it's the flip
2: <laughs> and then uh yeah so Drago's trying to basically uh, live vicariously through his son um, who I get the impression doesn't want a box at all um, and just wants to live a
1: normal life um, I'm he's hard to read in the respect that I don't beca- it, I will say I think we do get enough of Drago and his son but I do think we could have used one more scene that describes his motivation a little clearer
2: yeah that's why I said earlier like uh, yeah. they don't touch on this storyline enough in the movie
1: right which I think that this film actually does a good job of addressing that the nostalgia is a little flawed, um, in in within regards of sprinkled dialogue here and there. I think one specifically by Tessa Thompson, like, is it worth going through all this again and whatnot? Because it's like, yeah, this, I mean, this is kind of a remake of Rocky Four Guys, um, but uh, um, but I what I appreciate about Drago's uh, story, there's a there's a scene in this film, and it's not the scene you'd think uh, would be the most impressive scene. Um, the scene where because the scene with him and Rocky is good, but it's not superb. What's great is after Brigitte Nielsen shows up to a uh, a Russian state fund dinner or whatever, um, Drago's son gets up and leaves. Drago follows after him, and Drago's son is going on and on about like she left us. How can she? How can you like stand here? How can you want to sit this? And Drago says something that's amazing and it's very insightful into how Drago feels, which I think actually goes beyond Drago uh, wanting to live vicariously through his son. He said, I lost. I lost, you won't. And then like it kind of ends it there. And it's like one of those like moments where there's very little dialogue being exchanged on Lundgren's end, but it's his it's his presence, it's his force. It's seeing a man who's gone through the film industry for the past thirty years kind of being a joke, kind of like pushing out a lot of energy and force. And he's a very smart man, like we know Lundgren's like a smart man behind the scenes. Yeah. So
2: degree in nuclear physics or something,
1: which he applied very aptly in *Expendables too, for some reason. Um, but, uh, uh, so and watching this, like, and even the scene where he's with Rocky, where he's just like, you know what do they, they do with stray dogs, um, uh, in, in, in the Ukraine or something like that. It's, I can't remember the full discussion, but it's, you can feel the pain he's gone through kind of like, it's almost like indicative of the pain of being the joke of the Rocky franchise to a degree other than five. um, in the respect of like Rocky four is kind of the goofiest of them all in the respect of like how high concept the plot is. Um, and there's a robot in that movie. Thankfully, no robots in this film. Um, I would have flipped my shit if there was a robot in this film. I've been like, well, fuck this. <laughs> I can't respect this. Um, no matter how great Stallone is. Um, but I think Lundgren, his, cause his, his story is just as important to the creed buildup of mythology as Adonis Creed is to it, or even Rocky is to it, because Lundgren's character had lost everything by the end of Rocky IV. Whereas, we, and it's all about loss and regaining something you've lost. Like, that's the, that's the constant theme throughout this recent series of films. And I think Lundgren does a great job at, um, exuding that without, um, Without kind of, like, becoming, like, it would have been easy to just, like, make this a walk in the park, say your lines and get out of here, but he actually delivers, and that's the most impressive part of it for me. Um, And also, the final moment of the film, or of the fight, where, out of all the people who would have thrown in the fucking towel, I did not expect it would be fucking Ivan Drago. Yeah. And it shocked me at first, and then I was like, no, that had to happen. I'm glad it happened. God damn it, this movie's pretty fucking good for a sequel. Yeah. Um,
2: Because he realized he was never going to impress those Russians
1: well not only that also but he's just like look at what everything's done like what look at what I've done look at what it's done to him this has all been led up to my actions so I'm stopped I'm stopping it now
2: I've just infected my son Mm -hmm. with what happened to me rather than making him a champion
1: yeah exactly and so he's just like I'm I'm done with this and like the best part is
2: he's running with his son at the end mm -hmm. rather than pushing him with a car
1: (laughs) yeah oh yeah like I do not want to be trained by Dolph Lundgren because if I get like if I get into a jogging mode and He's just gonna run me over with a truck. <laughs> Actually, Brad, that'll motivate me to run faster. Drive behind with your with your <laughs> with your Jeep. That's <laughs> all I'm trying to run and just it keep accelerating. Like, come on, fat boy, move. <laughs> um, fat boy run. Also, Tessa Thompson's character, I'm glad she got more to do in this film technically. I don't think it's much, but there's more.
2: You know, the first fight I was like, why isn't it like his his wife should come out and sing like his intro music and then by the end of the movie I was like, yes. Oh my god! They're ideas. so fucking
1: cool. Because I was, and I it like, I like, that makes sense. Like, yeah. why wouldn't
2: you have your wife? Like, if she's like this brilliant new recording artist,
1: I didn't even think of it from the perspective of a music. I'm like, just like, how do you like top that? Like, how do you top James Brown introducing Adonis Creed? It's like this is better than James Brown with adon or with Apollo Creed. Yeah, um, and. um <laughs> I will say there's one part of this movie that's silly to me, but I still like it because it's another. It's a training montage, guys. It's it's a, it's a silly training montage. <laughs> they go to the wasteland for washed up boxers, <laughs> which that's a movie I want in and of itself, like with its own cast. Danny Trejo's the head of the school, <laughs> like that's that's something I want. Well, and like Creed that, coming in today, <laughs> get ready, boys. <laughs> I liked that, like and you can always see different types of exercise in Rocky movies. And this one I didn't realize puts a strap to his head. It's got barbells on the bottom of it and he's lifting it with his goddamn head. <laughs> the
2: neck muscles are
1: trained. Oh yeah. No dude. It's, ah, it, it's, those movies fill you up with a lot of adrenaline. Um, I, I, uh, talked about it a couple weeks ago, but they were showing Rocky movies at the fitness cinema, um, at the gym where I work out. So it's a big room where you can watch movies. Dude, I, Fucking busted ass to the last twenty minutes of Rocky four when they were showing it, like just fucking running my ass off on that treadmill like it's it motivates you, <laughs> but yeah, um, and then other than that, like I mean it kind of runs through the motions um of a of of what you would expect from a rocky movie what's what I've always found amazing about this franchise is like it's not necessarily what's happening that's necessarily shocking, it's that the characters you love these characters so much that you wouldn't want to see the usual things happen to them in some respects like i don't and i don't know if they clarified like is his daughter definitely deaf like oh yeah she's got the yeah. uh, uh uh hearing aid in yeah but, so like but that's something where i'm like oh i don't want that to happen but i know it's good that that happens because it 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 upends any expectation i have where it's like oh good news like the miracle baby you know um <laughs> And when Michael B. Jordan brings that baby into the gym, I was just like, "Oh God, he's going to use her as a sparring partner." <laughs> just, my mind went into a silly direction because I was just like, "Oh God, I got." I, I did think
2: that while he was, you know, hitting that punching bag, that his elbow might come back and hit the stroller. Oh God! On accident, and that would be the, <laughs> that, like the conflict in this movie. <laughs> like then, Tessa Thompson finds out. Like,
1: see, you've gone too far. <laughs> you now- punched my baby. It's affecting her <laughs> child. Yeah,
2: uh, but it's probably good that didn't happen.
1: Uh and Felicia Rashad um was good as Creed's mom again. Um <laughs> I like that she scene. She has more to do. Yeah, and yes, I like too. I love that scene where she's like uh well, well the scene where she's talking to Tessa Thompson about like I've been through this before but also like um you're a grown man, you're going to do what you want and don't make this about me and don't make this certainly don't make this about your father. Um that was really uh was good. So Yeah. So I'm curious
2: is you know <laughs> I feel like everything wrapped up in this movie, so Will there be a Creed
1: 3? Victor Drago and Adonis Creed become best friends. And then they recreate Rocky <laughs> 3. <laughs> That's what I want.
2: Oh, man. <laughs> and then... So who's going to be... Um, the villain this one? Mr. T. Clever Lang. Who's going to be called color- this Terry generation Cru- Terry Crews. Cruz.
1: Terry Crews. Cruz.
2: <laughs> might be too old. Not that he's old, the like Rock. Old, 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 but like...
1: I don't know. The Rock.
2: Who's like a punk?
1: Oh, a punk? Yeah. Oh, um. You know, I don't know. Jason Statham.
2: <laughs> um, you're, you're thinking too old. I, I know. He's a young um, punk.
1: Taryn Edgerton.
2: Sure. All right.
1: Channing Tatum.
2: Channing, Channing Tatum would be fun to watch. Oh, as my like God. Bubber yeah. Lang. Hell yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Bubber Dang. <laughs> Channing Lang. <laughs> Channing Lang. Yeah. Um, All right. Also, but there's, um, I mean I, I wanted to mention it though like I like that opening thing with Rocky Th- this movie reminds you how much you love the character Rocky when they're talking about the proposal scene and he says like I, I looked at the tiger and I turned to Adrian and I said why don't why don't you Uh, wh- I, would you mind too much if you got married to me which is a dumb way of saying all the things I felt in my heart which I was like I fucking love that line and I fucking love Sylvester Stallone no matter how many stupid things he can do in his life <laughs> oh god there's no way I can hate that man, no matter how many times he tries to make me do it.
2: <laughs> cool. All right, so next week, I guess we're going to see Ralph Breaks the Internet.
1: Yeah, Ralph Ralph Breaks the Internet. Uh, it should be fun. Uh, I mean, I like the first one, as I've seen it for the first time this year. So
2: I already know how it's going to go, So do but I. we're going to save <laughs> it for next week. Yeah, so did I. But so. hopefully
1: we'll have the other two in the room so that we can all talk about it. Yeah.
2: So. Um, I know Ryan has already seen it, so... Okay. Hopefully he'll be here. Uh, So, yeah, until next time.
1: All right, bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast.